0: Hey there everyone, Christian Wynn, director of StoryFord here, and today's episode is a re-airing of one that we put out in April earlier this year, but actually recorded back in November, just about a year ago, um, with Joe Weldon and Frankly Frankie, two burlesque phenoms, writers, artists, great people all around. Um, and Allison Meyer, part of our Story 4 team, is going to give you a more thorough intro, but I just want to say we miss you. We miss the fest. We miss live events and getting together safely is a thing. But man, we wish we could be in a big old crowded room with the burlesque all stars that performed last fall and we got to be a part of as well. So anyhow, here is a really great episode. We aired, like I said, back in April. So enjoy. Take care out there.
1: Hi everyone, you're listening to Story Fort Presents: Voices of Treefort Music Fest. This is a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. I'm Allison Meyer from the Story 14, team, coming to you from my closet, which is the closest thing I have to a recording studio right now. Our plans for this podcast have definitely shifted a little in recent weeks, but there are some really great interviews we recorded last fall and haven't yet released, and we're excited to continue sharing those with you. And this week we're bringing you one of my favorites. This is an interview I recorded in November along with fellow Story 14 member Amy Burton and we had a really lovely time talking to Joe Weldon and Frankly Frankie. Frankie as you hopefully know is the force behind Frankly Burlesque here in Boise and was one of the founding members of the Red Light Variety Show and has just been involved in a lot of creative projects here in the Treasure Valley. And Joe Weldon is really a burlesque legend and a very prolific writer and activist. Uh, she's the founder of the New York School of Burlesque and the author of The Burlesque Handbook. And her newest book is called Fierce and explores the history of leopard print. It's a really beautiful, fascinating book. And that's actually how all of this relates to Storyfort. We collaborated with Joe and Frankie on a couple of book events while Joe is in town to be part of a Frankly Burlesque show. And we found some time to have this conversation about their work and their many sources of inspiration. We actually spend a lot of time talking about movies and books. So if you're looking for new things to explore right now, This episode is a really good source of recommendations and hopefully just a nice respite in this strange time. We hope you are all staying well and staying home. And if you are among the people who can't stay home right now because you are providing groceries or health care or any of the services we all still need, please just know how grateful we are and that we are thinking about you. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. The first thing I thought we could maybe talk about is how the two of you connected and what you've been working on together.
2: Well, uh, why don't you talk about that, Frankie? Oh, goodness, because then I'm going to sound like a crazy stalker. That's okay. No. joe's been one of my heroes for a super long time i got to go to new york some years ago and take classes from her at uh, her school of burlesque and was just even more so Twitter-pated and eating her in real life and, like, experiencing her badassery. Uh, and then, you know, the world of social media. And then burlesque things happen and seeing her there. But the, the time in New York was really wonderful. I went back the following year, and she allowed me to perform in one of her shows, which Ooh. was really,
3: like,
2: <laughs> really big deal for me, and it felt really lovely. But uh, so when I was in the planning stages of this show, I was like, I would like... Joe Weldon, to come to Boise, Idaho, I'm going to ask her. And she said yes. (laughs) Well,
4: it's incredible for me because I'm, you know, sometimes I meet someone as a student and they've already accomplished so much in all these other ways that I I feel a little abashed going, well, I'm going to teach you this really simple thing. (laughs) Um, And also... uh, to have someone go to all this work and put together production. It's yeah, you know, production is so hard and to be invited to be a part of it is really an honor. So I'm really, really, really excited.
3: And is this your first time in Idaho?
4: I believe it's my first time in Idaho. Cool. Oh
3: well, welcome. Yeah. I'll show you only the good parts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can read about the other shit all the well, time. I'm also <laughs>
4: having fun just hanging out at your house. So well,
3: wonderful. <laughs> So your book, yes. Your book I thought was amazing. Thank it you. was it was um, We want to talk to you about your writing, primarily. We'd love to start there. I know that Allison had some specific questions to ask, but I would love to mention how well researched it is. Yeah. Thank you. Seriously. I w- it was, you know, I wrote here that it goes from the history of and biology of the leopard itself into garment history and suffrage to the sewing machine, to the bicycle, to, <laughs> I, I mean, to all these really cool things. And I was just following it like a, you know, a weave in a tapestry or something and, and how did you go about researching it? Are you a library girl or a, a Google search girl or what well, do you do?
4: Well, it takes a village, I will say, <laughs> to produce any book. Um, but I had help. Uh, I have friends, you know, Tigger uh, Ferguson, who's also known as, uh, well, he's just known as Tigger in burlesque, is a librarian at FIT. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my former students, April Callahan, who's also a fashion historian, is um, working at FIT. So they supported me. Elizabeth Way, who has access to the collections at FIT, let me look over some items. And uh, then I used the New York Public Library and the Brooklyn Library, which had incredible resources. I was so lucky to be in New York. Oh, wow. Um, and then people kind of came out of the woodwork when they heard what I was studying, mm-hmm. and they would tell me these odd stories that would just sort of set me off. And uh, the animals, um, I was started researching conservation because, you know, uh, there's, it's inevitable that you start some of your research online and everything online is somewhat suspect. Although yeah. I found that there were things on Wikipedia, which people make fun of, that were probably more thoroughly fact-checked than some <laughs> of the newspaper articles <laughs> yeah. I was reading. Um, You know, it's almost like I I worked backward from my interest in it to see what the lineage of it was. And I had to choose because there was so much I could have been an encyclopedia on leopard print. Um, I had to choose and I decided to settle on what it means that we can wear it now which meant I was mostly looking at the industrial era mm. because I had to focus on something because there was so much.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. But yet that ties it all together so well, especially being a feminist and doing the, the work that you do. I just thought it was fascinating how it, how it all worked together pretty yeah. seamlessly. Well, the history of fashion,
4: I am now convinced after this project, is one of the the most fascinating things you can study it's got sociology it's got anthropology it's got trade history it's got the history of travel in it Um, every uh, industrial development relates to it and the choices that people make about what they want to wear and also um, you know clothing is regulated Mm -hmm. like you may or may not wear this or that at work or in some places there's laws about what you may or may not wear and it's I'm convinced after doing this work that fashion is one of the best places to study history. Mm. Honestly, because yeah. it's connected to everything. Like, the, like you said, the garment workers, mm-hmm. uh, the suffragists, and every it was. I was a blown away by what there was to study, and I also felt like since I wasn't a fashion historian, I wanted to be respectful of um, people who are have devoted their lives mm. to fashion history, and I wanted to make sure that my research uh, lived up to what
3: they had provided and the kind of work they had done mm. definitely well i loved it as a seamstress myself and someone oh. who collects vintage patterns from mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s that's what i used to only wear exclusively once upon a time now i'm more <laughs> i think the term is basic bitch now Yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> real basic bitch
4: hey, but you get busy <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: you do but i just loved reading the history of the sewing machine and the patents and all Amazing. that same stuff it was really cool what just, was the most surprising
1: thing you learned in your research i know that might be kind of hard to pinpoint there were a lot of
4: things. I think what ended up surprising me personally the most was how connected it all felt to the animals because yeah. I'm so used to thinking of everything as just cultural yeah. and not making all the connections that culture has to nature. And so I was surprised at how, how much I felt like it actually engaged with the animals as well as the obvious cultural things.
1: Yeah. Mm. I keep thinking now that now every time I see leopard print, about my pupils dilating. Yeah, Yeah. fascinating. Um, But I did want to ask you about kind of your history as a writer, Mm -hmm. um, because I was reading some other things you'd written, and it's it sounds like you've kind of been a writer your whole life, or at least since high school.
4: Uh, Yeah, I started publishing articles and poetry in high school locally. Yeah, Um, and I stayed pretty local. I was writing for a newspaper called Creative Loafing. Which is sort of Atlanta's version of the Village Voice. And uh, Tony Paris invited me to write a column about strip joints, which was fantastic because uh, it, I was working in strip joints. Um, I really believed that the women there were interesting and valuable and deserved more respect for the work they were doing than they were getting not just as humans who do this work that we shouldn't like, but as people whose work actually contributes Mm -hmm. to um, society and popular culture and everything else. So um, I got to do that column. I had the best time.
3: (laughs) That's awesome.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and I was getting paid to write really regularly for the first time and having to put out at least an article a week, so that was great. And then uh, I became involved. Well, I was always involved in anti-censorship activism, even when I was in high school because they took some books away from me in high school. Oh, no. I was like, oh. no, what no the no, books?" no, 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 no. Yeah, what books? Uh, Surrealist French Poets <laughs> and Rabelais. Oh, man. And uh, they were like, what is it? I think they don't look at all the books they have sometimes. <gasps> mm-hmm. And they looked at them, and they were like, oh, this isn't decent. I'm like, well, it's what I want to read. Yeah. Um, and they took it away. So oh, gosh. Uh, there was a bookstore in Atlanta that helped me uh, You know, do a formal approach with them, and then I worked with the ACLU informally. And um, then once I started doing adult entertainment, and I saw a lot of the ways that they approached um, regulating adult entertainment were either interfering with First Amendment rights or were a form of discrimination. And so I started writing about that. So, and I wrote some academic papers, even though I wasn't on an academic track. That's really cool. Which was hard. What were they about? Uh, They were mostly about, um, at the time, like in the late 80s and early 90s, the big debate was about pornography and Mm -hmm. uh, the harms and benefits of pornography. So I was writing about, I was mostly doing media analysis of the proposed laws against pornography to evaluate, because I had also done the legislative beat as an intern, and I had been at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, going in and watching legislative sessions and watching how bills yeah. were actually discussed. And I was like, oh, this is even if I approved of your goal of eradicating pornography, which I don't, this won't do it. Yeah. This will limit um, needed uh, sexual education materials and queer materials. And yeah. it'll that's what it's going to affect. Yeah. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to Eliminate all this harmful porn. And I said, it's not going to work. It's going (laughs) to, you're going to get censored and they're not,
0: Mm -hmm, basically.
4: Which I didn't feel the way they felt about porn, but even if I had. So I was used to going into legislative situations looking at the end goal of the people who were my supposed opponents. Yeah. Um, and not arguing with them about what I wanted, <laughs> but telling them that their, their legislation wasn't going to get them what they wanted. And then we'll, I was like, and then we'll work backward from there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get rid of this piece of legislation and then we'll talk. Uh, which
1: worked about half the time.
3: That's still very really cool. So Yeah. Did you want to read that? Will you read that? One
1: oh. I, I loved, um, there was something you wrote at the beginning of um, your other book, The Burlesque Handbook, that I wanted to ask you about. Um, I was curious also, just generally, if you ever still write poetry. Rarely.
4: Yeah. Sometimes. Like, I'll be sitting on the subway and I'll just jam something out, but I don't do poetry readings. And my friend Amber Dawn just uh, published a book called Hustling Verse, which I blurbed, but she Had hoped that I would submit some poetry, and I went back to my old poetry. And I'll be honest, it was too painful to read. Oh Oh, no, (laughs) in a cringy kind of way, or was it just
3: really emotional?
4: Sometimes it was cringy, but it was also uh, poetry that I wrote a lot while I was processing trauma. And you know, you never become the same person you were before a traumatic event transpired, Mm -hmm. but it was reliving it and she said you know a lot of people are saying that and yeah. I said I love you but I can't do it yeah. yeah so I blurbed it and the book is Hustling Verse if you're even remotely curious about sex workers and and if you love poetry as an art yeah. form it's you must read it Hustling Verse okay Hustling Verse definitely, definitely.
1: Um, But the line I wanted to ask you about (laughs) when you said, the structure of the one-page poem and the limerick inform my sense of how choreography and narrative should be structured. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. (laughs) I love that.
4: Yeah. So um, when I'm working on numbers, I want uh, burlesque numbers or dance numbers. I'm trying to work out how all the elements relate to each other, which you do in a poem, both uh, technically and uh, in terms of what the poem's about. So I was a very technical poet when I was young. <laughs> you know, I was very, very technical. And um, I, I love surrealism. So it isn't that I don't think you can't do something surreal and have it be effective. But if you're not doing something surreal, I like for the beginning and the ending to have a relationship to each other, which in that short of a format, it only makes sense. And I loved having like inner rhyme and wordplay and reflection and inventiveness. And um, I also loved... Starting out with the words uh, that you use to create a poem that are, um, they resonate for me. Mm -hmm. And then doing research and finding out whether or not they resonate for other people and Mm. finding the term that resonates both for me and the audience because the Mm -hmm. original term may not work in terms of, like, there's no point in expressing myself if nobody can hear it. Mm -hmm. So I do the same thing in a performance. I want it to be um, from beginning to end. A connection to the audience,
1: mm-hmm. take them on a journey, and have it be all in that one package. I want to bring Frankie into the conversation too. And I, I wanted to kind of hear from both of you about um, kind of your history discovering maybe performance generally and then specifically burlesque.
2: Let me condense uh, mm-hmm. my history with performance. Performance is so ingrained in the, <laughs> my, my kind of path of life. Uh, so synopsis, um, I didn't finish high school because I was a drug addict. And I went to uh, the only thing I did that was sort of extracurricular in the time of high school was theater classes. I was trying to find something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like drugs a lot more, so I definitely went that <laughs> route. But when I got to when I got sober, and I was like, "Shit, you need to go to school. You have a child. You are supposed to be a responsible adult." People go to college. You didn't finish high school. Like college, it is okay. What am I doing in college? I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was taking intro level classes. There was a theater teacher there, and I was like, "Oh my god, she has what I want." Like mm-hmm. that was a, just her lecturing was like what. I wanted to feel in my life and I was like okay I've done theater this much before versus anything else that they're offering here because sociology like I'm still figuring out what that even means Uh, so I started in the theater department and there was a bulletin board with audition notices (laughs) and it said auditioning for the cherry bombs burlesque and cabaret and I was like I think I know what burlesque is Uh, my I grew up listening to like old time radio vaudeville shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that there was a relationship there. Uh, and I was, and Lawrence Welk, like the variety, <laughs> <Yes>. the variety <laughs> shows, though, right? Like uh, Lawrence Welk, Fever McGee and yeah. Molly, like this is what my childhood was. Um, And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need. I I am doing something, Uh and I auditioned for this burlesque troupe. I did a little bit of research. It was the worst audition I've ever done, but she was also desperate for performers, (laughs) (laughs) so it was fine. So no, were you here in in, Boise or? Yes, I was in Boise, uh, and Boise didn't really know what burlesque was then either. Um, It did, it just forgot, Um, (laughs) really. Like, but uh, so that was how I got in that troupe. Troops are hard. People have. Personalities that get big, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I did finish my theater degree, and I was like, I like this world. First off, it's conducive logistically to me um, because I don't, I can't be in rehearsals all night long. Uh, I have a kid, but also, like when growing up, like I didn't have an exact passion. But I wanted to be outrageous and a rock star, mm-hmm. like that's what I wanted to be, and I had this like raw energy <laughs> mm-hmm. that I needed to yeah. get out somehow. And I I I used to stand in front of my mirror with my guitar and my bright pink hair, and I was a little punk rocker, but who couldn't fucking play your guitar, right? I right. just like I, but I wanted to express that. So while I'm in college and I'm doing stuff with this troupe, I am diving deeper into avant-garde art burlesque world. Uh, I fell in love with Philippe Petit, who was the tightrope walker uh, who walked between the Twin oh, Towers in yeah. 1974, right? So I'm kind of, I steered my college experience into um, more fringe arts, mm-hmm. right? And I looked further, social media is starting to come alive at this point. It was my space. I, re- I was researching a lot of burlesque performers, current burlesque yeah. performers, on my space and like, what are they doing? And I would take trips to Seattle and do like burlesque research, right? Well, I'm doing stuff here and I still don't know exactly. Like, We show pasties, we dance, this is great. I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so that was kinda, that's my roundabout journey, right? And that as social media as my, mm. social media was a big deal because, yeah. oh, look, there is this other world, right? I read the books in the library and I still wasn't sure how they related to right now. So I'm watching people and, uh, I guess that's that's my journey in a nutshell, like getting mm-hmm. to burlesque. And I I like a, my preference still. I think I like the hybrid. I love the organization of theater. I love the structure and the mm-hmm. hierarchy of it, uh, and the collaborative nature. I miss. I love being in charge of my own act as well. Yeah, but I do miss like when the you have the world in front of you. Where the hell do you start? Yeah. I like, there's there's freedom within limitations and mm-hmm. bouncing things off mm-hmm. of people's brains, which Absolutely. I love, like the jam time. So mm-hmm. I try to make my art as collaborative, yeah. but I'm driving it Yeah, <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> you know? Uh, as well as, um, I don't know, I don't think, I love burlesque, I love naked, I love the beautiful women, just that's, but I like, I, my my own individual stuff tends to be a little more experimental to what burlesque is necessarily, but it wouldn't necessarily fit into a theater piece or yeah, because yes. theater is not generally made of small vignettes, mm-hmm. you know, well, like it, a burlesque show.
4: I think if for in order for burlesque to be a variety art, you have to have a variety of
2: presentations of burlesque. Mm, yes. So there isn't one right way or one thing that
4: is burlesque in my opinion. Which is
2: another thing I absolutely love about burlesque. Like you get, I mean, the burlesque shows were, you had comedians, you had the singing girls, you had the mm-hmm. dancing, you know, and that is what burlesque is and the striptease artists, right, But and are common, My what I think of, right, as burlesque now is is the striptease artists. And there is going to be an element of nudity in my acts mm-hmm. regardless because this is, like, that in itself is like a whole other can of worms of, like, <laughs> this is our bodies. They are just mm-hmm. fine. I'm going to show you mine. You have one too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They function and I can do things with mine and yeah. it's wonderful, you could do this too if you wanted <laughs> to and in whatever way you choose, right? Uh, but uh, not necessarily like the Prans and peel, whatever. So I do tend to, I use the broader, when I'm producing shows, the broader term of burlesque. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit of everything. Some people delineate with variety shows. I'm like, well, that seems like they're the same thing to me, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. It does cool. to me too, actually. Okay, great, yeah. Did you want to speak to your your journey
3: <laughs> yeah
4: i mean my journey is long um <laughs> but just basically uh, when i was in high school i was already you know i was already i was going to rocky horror which mm, i think yes. is a lot of people's favorite right yeah and uh, it was the 70s so rocky horror was really new and yeah. in atlanta they were having a variety <coughs> show before the movie that had drag mm-hmm. queens and jugglers and all this <coughs> fun stuff And uh, I was like, I'm going to do a striptease in it. Like, I'm going to, you know. And they didn't know I was underage. Like, I think I was 15 or 16. (sighs) They didn't care. And so I did what I thought was a burlesque number. And I invited, I I was in high school outcast, but I had... Oddly, one of my best friends was the captain of the football team,
3: hmm.
4: and I say, "Oh, Chris, I'm performing tonight," <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, I'll bring, I'll bring some people." Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Uh, I mean, I I don't think that I was any good, but I think it was entertaining because it wasn't really done, you know. Yeah. And then, um, and I always wanted to be a stripper, and I knew this, and so when I graduated from high school, um, I wanted to get away from home, and so I went to strip clubs. And you just walk in and get a job or (laughs) not. (laughs) And so I was on stage. I was like, I'm dancing on stage. And, you know, they just throw you in the water and see if you can swim. There wasn't any training or anything. And I had some glamorized ideas, uh, which actually uh, gave me inspiration to perform later on. Mm -hmm. But at first I was just so excited to be making my own money. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh, I love making money. I love the people in the dressing rooms. And I was actually fascinated by the customers as well. And, you know, and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, like, that's what I wanted, mm-hmm. you know. And I didn't go to college right away because it would have interfered with my drug taking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so... When in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, I started to find out that there was such a thing as a feature dancer, which Mm -hmm. is a touring, headlining stripper, and there's kind of a circuit for them in strip joints. And you would do these 15 to 20 minute numbers that basically looked like burlesque from the '30s, '40s, Mm. and '50s, except it was updated. Um, And some people did do vintage style burlesque when they did it. I did a fan dance then and. I think I did my first fan dance in 91. And everybody oh, wow. was
3: like, what are you doing?
4: <laughs> <laughs> but they liked it, but they were just a little baffled. But then I did like fire eating and stuff like that, and that they related mm. to. So I was doing fetish numbers. And mm. like in the early 90s, fetish was still kind mm-hmm. of underground. It still is to be yeah. real, you know, like just because my feed is full of it doesn't mean multiple <laughs> places. <laughs> right. Um, so I was able to uh, do these more elaborately themed. And then I had a friend come and say, oh, you're doing performance art in some of these numbers. Like I did a nurse that went out into the audience and gave people prescriptions and then <laughs> shared them. And <laughs> you, know, you could do but you had a lot of leeway. Li- you had a yeah. lot of freedom. You created your own stuff, um, but it was incredibly expensive to get started because you had to start out with 8 to 12 developed routines. And so very expensive to yeah. start. It did pay very well. So that's the thing about strip joints, right?
3: Mm-hmm. But this now the, was this still in Atlanta or had you moved to New York at this point? I, or,
4: you or know when did I you traveled to New around York. a little bit. So I lived in Atlanta from like when I was uh 11 to and I think I let go of my apartment in Atlanta when I was 35. And so I've been in New York mostly full-time for over 20 years, but I was going back and forth and for a while I was a groupie and I was uh, going between Atlanta, LA, and New York, and I didn't mm. work in LA very much. Mm. I didn't strip there. I would make all my money in Atlanta and New York, and then go in LA and hang out on the strip, and go to um, <laughs> oh, we went to the Rainbow Room, <laughs> with coconut teasers, and you know. Yeah. We, I, w- I was thinking about that the other day, how much influence we strippers had on the way those men looked. <laughs> right? I was like, the strippers don't look like the rock stars. The rock stars look like the strippers. We were literally doing their hair. so
1: <laughs> They just get the credit for it. Yeah. Yep,
4: they get the credit. Ain't <coughs> that? But it was, it was um, you know, so I was feature dancing at that time. And then I found feature dancing difficult because you have to travel from place to place. Meet a new strip club owner every week, which I didn't enjoy because about at least half of strip joint owners are um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't love that part. Yeah. Um, but I did like, you know, and I had to, you have to have credits to be a featured dancer. So I did a lot of centerfolds really fast, mm. which was super fun. Mm. <laughs> um, and that was interesting because in Atlanta, um, you dance nude on, at that time, you dance nude on the tables. Um, but there wasn't any contact at that time. There mm-hmm. were no poles. We couldn't mm-hmm. bend over. Um, so it's kind of ladylike. Naked but ladylike, right? <laughs> Which ladylike, as we all know, is
3: a trap yeah. term. Oh my
4: but gosh.
3: The prim and proper. Oh, no, no, no. no. Whenever,
4: <laughs> whenever someone says you're a nice lady, I'm, oh. like, I, 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 I'm like, don't correct that. Yeah. Just accept it. <laughs> so I was doing these elaborate routines. I got tired of that particular grind. I sold most of my costumes. I moved to New York with the money I made from selling my costumes. And then um, I was doing uh, academic presentations and working with legislators on what we're now calling sex workers' rights, Mm -hmm. advocacy, and activism. Um, Then I went (coughs) to a burlesque show with my friend Bambi the Mermaid. And I was like, I do this. (laughs) And it's without all the other stuff. That's a pain in my neck, Yeah, but also without The big money, so. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and it was, you know, it was embryonic at the time, the scene, so there weren't very many rhinestones in the site. And I had been a costumer also, so I was like, let's put some beaded fringe and rhinestones up in this. Mm -hmm. And, And then I saw other people that were doing more similar stuff but for me it was an opportunity to do this kind of like punk rock thing like you were talking about being our own rock star after having been a groupie it was really i was (laughs) like you know i have talents too right Mm -hmm. yeah but
3: yeah
4: but i mean being a groupie was fun but it was also (laughs) hideously misogynistic homophobic society uh, like yeah mm, i mean yeah 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 (laughs) it's like Every now and then I'll be like, "Oh, that's not the best memory." <laughs> okay. Some song will come on the radio, and
3: I'll oh, be like, "Oh, no. that guy." Oh no. <laughs> yeah, but it shaped you into who you are. I, yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be any different
4: than I am. And I, you know, I think, you know, there, Well, I won't get into that too much. Someday I'll write about that.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd love There's to. There's a, a lot about of that. like,
4: I look back and I go, "Bless their hearts, and bless mine too," because <laughs> I was not behaving well,
3: but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, So I started doing neo burlesque in New York, and I was very passionate about the older women in burlesque because what a lot of people don't remember now when you have all this information at your fingertips, uh, we didn't know who most of these women in these vintage images were. Mm -hmm. And so discovering who they were and honoring their artistic legacy and their their spiritual outlaw legacy was Mm -hmm. so important to me. So while I was also doing, like, crazy performance art pieces, it was really important to me to honor what they had been doing. Like, yeah. to do a fan dance and mm-hmm. to peel a glove. And, you know, like, if you read about Gypsy Rose Lee's real life, I mean, it doesn't look that easy in the movie Gypsy, but when you read <laughs> about her real life, it's like, oh, my God. So you peel a glove and you think, you know, this is this is for you and all you went through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that connection in classic burlesque, but I also think that... Um, I would never have gotten interested if there wasn't also the neo, you know, Mm -hmm. crazy element. Because when I used to do poetry readings when I was young, I would take off my clothes. And they would be like, you can't do that. And I'm like, (laughs) it's part of my art. (laughs) You know, and I'd be reading these, like, really blasphemous, vile poems and taking off my clothes. And nobody else was taking
3: off their clothes.
4: (laughs) Um, so all of these things tie in for me. Uh, yeah. But for me, a lot of it is the history of sex workers and the yeah. erasure of their identities and and their contributions is really, really, really mm-hmm. important to me. Um, and it's not separate from all that, but it's it's a distinctive element yeah. of you know the history of theater and what neo burlesque is. So. Um, every time i peel a glove i'm thinking about that Mm -hmm. you know every time i twirl a tassel i'm thinking about the fact that tassel twirling is really only a hundred years old yeah we can't find any examples of it prior to that so it's this thing that women invented Mm -hmm. uh, you know that is you know when i was growing up was treated like a joke you Mm -hmm. know i mean it is fun (laughs) (laughs) i i love teaching people tassel twirling and watching this room full of women topless together that don't know each other very well, wearing pasties, looking at their naked selves in the mirror and mm. smiling yeah, when they see amazing. it happen. Yeah, it you know, it changes me every time I see it, every time I see them like looking at
3: their bodies and smiling. You know, you know, it reminds me for some reason. Uh, oh, it was because Anne Bancroft is in your book. There's that picture of Anne Bancroft, and so I was thinking of The Graduate, and there's that scene in The Graduate where Benjamin takes the daughter to the bar. Isn't the, that an interesting and the, scene? And yeah. the woman is twirling, you know, her tassels behind her, and I'm forgetting the actress's name now. You know, who's Catherine Hath- Ross? Catherine Ross is just so humiliated, and I just thought it was so interesting the message. There's a, lot sounds, there's a lot happening unpack scene. there. Yeah. It's really
4: one of the most interesting scenes in the movie if you look at it from the standard point of all the gender roles that are yeah. happening. Yeah. And it's interesting also because there's that implication <coughs> that it's humiliating for her. Yeah. And do we, do we know that that would have been the case?
2: Mm.
4: Like you know but his intention was to be disrespectful yes, to her
3: to humiliate mm-hmm. her yeah it's
4: a really interesting scene i've thought about it a lot i
3: think it would be very different now you know maybe
4: it depends on the people involved yeah. and the intention of the people involved in their relationship to each other mm. like they had a bad relationship but it's also one of those <laughs> movies where you like he treats you like crap But he's the guy for you. Right. And then Uh, takes you out
3: for French fries afterwards, I think. Yeah.
4: Because he's so (laughs) not the guy. He's so not the guy. And and if, you know, as strippers, we don't want to be engaged in that. So I felt like that was a little bit of a misrepresentation of how a stripper would have interacted in that situation because we don't, that's not what we're there for. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's an interesting
1: scene. It's an interesting scene. That actually was one thing I was going to ask about because it's a, it's definitely a world that that the that films and shows love. And I was wondering if there is any media that you think did it well or like represented it accurately. Oh. <laughs> um, there's it's interesting because um,
4: you know there's a lot of talk right now about the movie Hustlers and. Yeah. Some sex workers are very happy with it and some are not. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do, I don't know quite how to put this, but I'm going to say, yeah. whether or not something is empowering for any given individual depends on in which area they need to be empowered. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, so there are some people who are more sensitive about being represented as <clears throat> problematic in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are more concerned about other elements of representation in, in adult entertainment and sex work. So it's Mm -hmm. just hard to say. I personally felt that it portrayed a lot of stuff really accurately. Mm -hmm. As I was watching it, I was like, that would not all happen (laughs) in the same kind of strip joint, and that probably isn't what they'd wear, and a few little things like that that didn't overall detract from a lot of what was shown. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's also a movie terrible movie called, well I don't know if it's terrible, it's not good, called The Big Town that has Matt Damon and Diane Lane in it mm. and she plays the evil ga- ga- gangster's wife you know, she's bad, she's a bad, bad bad woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks a lot like, you know the cover of those old pulp novels it's pretty mm-hmm. fabulous and she does a fan dance and she's a, okay, she's a bad person in the movie supposedly, well no she is her character is a bad person um and so you could say, oh, that's you know, portraying the stripper as the evil person. And I'm like, well, but there's this whole other thing that happens when she's on stage. And you see that she does her performance professionally, and she it's the fan dance that I actually learned a lot of my mm. early fan dancing from. But she also has these moments that only someone who knew would would have spotted where, she walks out she doesn't say anything but she leans down to this you can't hear what she's saying she leans down to a guy and says something to him and he laughs and she kicks his beer over in his lap so what happened was he had a beer on her stage Mm -hmm. and she told Mm -hmm. him to get it off and he laughed at her and she kicked it over on him Mm -hmm. and i was like that is so freaking real (laughs) and then you know her ex supposedly ex-boyfriend is in there and she's fucking with him at the same time that she's doing her perfectly professional performance and there's so much going on there it just really works for me Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the scene in Lenny the movie about Lenny Bruce where a woman is uh, Valerie Perrine is performing as Hot Honey Harlow and I know a lot about Hot Honey Harlow's personal history, and I know who all the people in the audience are meant to represent. Mm. And I'm sure Bob Fosse did as well. So to a casual observer, it might not all be there, but I know who everyone in that audience is, who they represent. Mm. Oh, wow, that's and it's so cool. mind-blowing. And I know a lot about Hot Honey Harlow because I was really studying her for a while. Um, but there are a lot in, in, in everything. There's something of interest. like Like, you know, a lot of sex workers... Understandably, are annoyed by the movie Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. but there's one scene in it that is so real and funny to me, which is when she's in bed with Richard Gere and she's talking about the travails of sex work, mm-hmm. and she goes, she goes, I, you know, I, I, can't remember exactly how she puts it, but she says something along the lines of, Yeah, I pretend to enjoy it, and then she looks at him and goes, <laughs> Except with you, of course, <laughs> and I'm like, How is that not? How is that so iconic? Uh, yes. um, and the dress that she wore, I was obsessed with. Because we were wearing them in strip joints. Mm. And I was also making clothing for strippers out of that fabric, which is really difficult to find now. And that, you know, that cutout design Mm -hmm. that's based on like 60s and 70s bathing suits, which were based on 30s and 40s (laughs) bathing suits. And there's a whole lot of history in that. And it's also not the least accurate thing I've ever seen. Mm. Like, you know, at the same time that there's so many moments in that movie that are just not. (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and the interesting thing about that movie, oh God, you guys should stop. <laughs> no, please, no, this, is, this is wonderful. This is this please. Is <laughs> <going>. <laughs> the interesting thing about that movie, and remember the movie Risky Business? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, can you imagine That's that movie one of the first rated now? R
3: movies I ever saw. Can you
4: imagine <laughs> them getting that movie made now? No way, no way. No. But both Risky Business and Pretty Woman originally had very unhappy endings for the, mm. the sex workers in the movie and the endings were changed Hmm. and since I know the original endings like I've done a lot of research Mm -hmm. on this kind of stuff I know the original endings I find the movies more appropriate than I would have found the coming to a Mm -hmm. bad ending endings right so I'm and I know that it's just like the audience really doesn't want to see that bad ending.
3: It's a well, downer. What would the bad ending of risky business be? Uh, Does she get arrested or something? No,
4: she just comes to a bad end. She's, you know, they're not. It's not as because at the end of of as it is now, she's talking about you know all her entrepreneurial plans, and having seen her operate, you believe in her entrepreneurial plans, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And the to me less believable ending was that she just came to a bad end Mm -hmm. which I don't even remember the details of the bad end Mm -hmm. and then uh, Julia Roberts, or uh, what's her name? What's the name of that character? Oh, Starts with a V. I, I don't remember. Oh, no. It's
3: been a really long Vivian. time. Vivian. Is it Vivian?
4: <laughs> so Vivian, um, at the end, you know, there's like a happy Cinderella kind of ending, and I, you know, it's kind of irritating. Like, oh, she doesn't need a man to do that, but <laughs> yeah. you know, considering the income gap, seems fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the uh, at the end of the other one, she, you know, has a bad ending. Um, the the original ending and they got rid of it and I I prefer and find more realistic the actual ending mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and it isn't yeah. that people don't have difficult times and come to bad mm-hmm. ends it's that the character that they showed in that
3: line of work um these made sense to me well the yeah. old film codes were if I remember correctly the post code movies so what post 1933 or something like that any woman of the night or woman who You know, acted inappropriately had to come to a bad end. There's, yeah, there's
4: an amazing documentary that just came out called Whores on Film. And you can read about it at whoresonfilm.com. And they are looking at it's a bunch of sex workers looking at sex workers on film and talking about their reactions to it.
1: Oh, that sounds fascinating. Produced
4: and made by sex workers. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to see. I haven't seen it yet, but I talked to her. I'm not in the documentary, but I talked to her because I used, uh, mention of her film in a presentation I did on sex workers and fashion, so.
3: That's so cool. Yeah.
1: All right. What else? What else? I, <laughs> I know. I know. That was, that was great. That was great. Really fascinating. fascinating. One tidbit to tie it all together <laughs> is that when
4: I went to um, the International uh, Conference on Prostitution, obviously there were a lot of prostitutes there. Mm-hmm. And um, like Annie Sprinkle and Carol Lee and all these amazing people were there. And I did not know them. So it was my first time meeting them after all these years of feeling yeah. alone in my, you know, sex workers' rights struggle, which I really wasn't, but I didn't know it. Mm. Um, and so it was at the era of everyone wearing a ribbon to represent a cause. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was talk about what the ribbon would be. Mm. And so we were like, oh, it should be leopard print. It should be leopard print. <laughs> yeah. oh, and then. Yeah, but then uh, I think it was Dolores French who came up with the obvious thing. She's like, no, it should be a $100 bill. <laughs> <laughs> so we were all wearing $100 bills yes. made into ribbons, That's ties, or awesome. Yeah, we're the sex worker contingency. <laughs> yeah, um, amazing. Uh, we're here for labor rights and labor
3: rights.
1: <laughs> Monday. Resources. So, yeah. Um, since we are, like, uh, We're a part of the Treefort Music Fest. We talk a lot about music, and certainly a part of burlesque is the music aspect. And I wanted to ask both of you about kind of the role of music in your work and also just personally.
2: Music is the hardest element for me, Mm. which is strange. I think a lot of people that I know find the song and they're like, I'm going to perform something to this song, it's beautiful, or the song steers the performance, whether it's the lyrics or the message in the song itself. Um, Finding the music is hard for me. I Mm. like, I am a music fan, but I've never like (laughs) honed into like, this is mine and I'm Mm -hmm. all in and this is my scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I blame my like, Lawrence Welk upbringing on that because that's, <laughs> this is what we listen to, uh, but I my preference is getting recommendations from people or like no you're going to love this here I'm like oh, you're mm. right I do <laughs> thank you, uh, so yeah I didn't I didn't really start with like a concept or an idea yeah. a feeling that I want and then I try to narrow that down into specificities and then I find the song to match mm-hmm. that and I usually farm that out I'm like okay I'm thinking about this. <laughs> Tell me what fits this. That's That's cool. Yeah, and I put the feelers out. Yeah, I put the feelers out to people who know how my brain functions. (laughs) You have (laughs) like certain people that are like (laughs) your music people. Yeah, kind of. Uh, My my husband is a musician, and I really enjoy. uh, (laughs) He's excellent at like steering me into uh, towards something and or creating something with me or. For me, Or mm-hmm. or smashing things together. I really like to juxtapose yeah. songs together. So something very, like, bubblegummy and cute. And then, like, raw. let's be like an <laughs> 80s stripper. Right? Yeah. And it's the same character. It's just two different sides of this woman. So, um, but I guess even that, like, so that f- f- that instance is the howdy-do, cherry, let me bake you a cake song. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. It's <laughs> yeah. really, si- right. It's, it's pretty. And then mixed with... Um, She's my cherry pie, right? So it's the same woman, and but it's like these are the different yeah. sides. And I feed you, and I feed you sex mm. as well, right? Like this is my rule. Uh, so I guess still for me, it's more about the concept, but I do yeah. like I like to uh, I like to goof it up and play, yeah. but. Or, and just random radio listenings help. I get a lot of, uh, Terry Gross um, gives me a lot of recommendations, (laughs) uh, both for books and music. Uh, And so I, you know, I usually have something, some talk droning on in the background and somebody will say something and I will be like, oh, I must look into that. Okay. And then I have to make a note of it or I forget. What about
3: you? I
4: would, you know, I have a. Uh, eclectic taste Uh, when i was in high school i was a punk rocker and so that's the 70s so that's like people were real intense about punk rock but I was still secretly also listening to my Dean Martin and Roger Mm -hmm, Miller mm -hmm. albums and my, oh, Keely Smith, oh my God. So, (laughs) you know, and then also it wasn't cool to be listening. Like I love prog rock. I love Jethro Tull so much and (laughs) nobody like, nobody. well, every now and then someone will go, me too, we (laughs) all love Jethro Tull. And we're like, yes, let's talk about Jethro Tull. (laughs) Um, So I actually have done a, a group chair dance in the cabaret style to aqua oh that's wonderful <laughs> oh, <that's amazing>. yes <laughs> so I've, i do stuff like that but um for a while when i very first started doing neo burlesque i would only perform to female vocalists mm. or artists and um i just needed that for a while because i had just come out of rock and roll mm-hmm. um and now i'm like more relaxed about it and i just did uh for my uh Fifty seventh birthday. I did a show uh, called because um, I did a show called Cat House the year before to mm. celebrate the release of the mm-hmm. History of Leopard Print. Um, so we did Cat House Two: The Metal Years, nice. and did mostly That's metal. So cool. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> So, all of it, like to me, um, some of the ultimate stripper music is ACDC mm-hmm. and Led Zeppelin and all the stuff we were dancing to early on. It's also a lot of it is really problematic. Like, I'll be listening to my Kiss album and I'm rocking oh. out, and all of a sudden I'll go, oh, that's not good. <laughs>
0: you know? no. like,
4: Damn it. And, um, but, you know, I also have gone through phases where I only, you know, when I was uh, first getting interested in punk, part of it was because there were so many women artists. Mm. Right. So I was really into the pretenders. I was yeah. really into Blondie. Mm-hmm. I was really into um, x-ray specs. I was really into um, the slits and, you know, just all this stuff. <laughs> the slits. I was yeah. just listening so to uh,
2: Vivian's book right now. Oh. oh. Wow. I hear uh, her second I, one's really good. I heard about her through Terry Girls. I was like, I've never heard of the slits. Okay, now I must know. Oh, and I'm yeah. just about finished with the book.
3: They're oh. amazing. Are you reading her first book or the one that just recently uh, came out? The one that just recently yeah. came oh, out, I've yeah. heard there, that To that Throw really Away Unopened. Yeah, mm. the first one's excellent too. Okay, noted, thank you. And it's all about her time with the
2: slits. Oh, fantastic, yeah, okay. It's, it's really, love it. Really great.
4: And Yeah, and but when I'm talking to students about choosing mm-hmm. music, there's a whole other thing that I have to do which is different than, you know, it's like, um, you have to really love the song mm-hmm. because you're going to hear it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to, if it has lyrics or a history of having lyrics, you have to really know them, not just sing along with them. You have to stop, find a version of the lyrics without music and read them out loud. And if you shouldn't say it in your mouth, it shouldn't. if those words shouldn't be in your mouth, you shouldn't be dancing to them on stage. Mm-hmm. And this is... Because a lot of, and it started out when I noticed a lot of people dancing to American Woman on the 4th of July. I'm like, this is not a pro-American <laughs> song. <laughs> Do you know what you're listening to? And then I would go, oh, there's this not that song, but other songs. Like, oh, there's a slur. Did you ever notice oh. that? And they like, no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm like, this song is about a 14-year-old girl. Did you ever notice? Oh. No, I didn't. So we had to like start listening. Yeah. And then, so there's that, like know what your music is. And to some extent. If appropriate, if it has history, know a little bit about that history. Like, you know, if you're white, you can't dance to Strange Fruit. You may not, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's or you can, but live with the consequences because it's a bad decision. And, you know, your audience is going to suffer and people are going to feel bad and that's not what you want, right? <laughs> oh. um, so I also um, tell them, like, just artistically um, for the song that you have to understand audience expectations when a song starts Mm. and then you can fulfill them or you can confound them, but you can't ignore them because the audience will disconnect from you. So if a song has personal meaning for you, you have to figure out whether or not it also works for your number. Like let's say um, a good example, welcome to the jungle starts, right? (laughs) What is, what does the audience expect? What are they going to picture? You need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. and then you can fulfill it and do whatever it is you think they expect or you can confound it and surprise them with you know it may be politics or comedy or something dark mm-hmm. but whatever it is you should be conscious be paying attention I always tell people if you pay attention to the audience they'll pay attention to you mm-hmm. right um, so it's not a matter of pandering it's a matter of communicating
1: mm-hmm. right
4: and then know how you know how the music ends because a lot of music I don't think it happens as much anymore. I'm not noticing it on top 40. The, a lot of music fades the out. fade out. I mm-hmm. remember
2: that so specifically in my song that what I did with at the new, when I took the six week class. Yeah. Um was a fade out and I didn't know how to fix that on my own and it was terrible and I that sticks in my head always. I can no work outs. you
4: can work with a fade out, right. but it's harder than working with like a, an ending that really lands sharp because your number mm-hmm. begins and ends and you want it to begin Yeah. You clearly want. and and clearly unless you don't of course you know if and you're like i want it to be vague you want to be making that choice not do it by accident yes so that's a lot i mean i could go on about music for days mm-hmm. and also there's a thing about burlesque standards you know the sort of jazz instrumentals that evoke classic burlesque and there's a whole history there of what <laughs> we which era we think it's evoking and which era it was actually mm. produced in or written in um but um, I approve of burlesque standards for the most part, depending on the song. There's a few I'm, I'm like, no, not anymore, <laughs> um, because it evokes that era. And you can play with that, or you can work against it, right? But there's a reason that it originally worked for burlesque. Mm-hmm. And it is some of the greatest music ever made, because these are some of the greatest artists ever, ever mm-hmm. producing music. Um, And so some people who are doing burlesque will say, oh, that music is tired. We shouldn't use it because of the, and I disagree because most of the time a new student is bringing in a new audience. And if that audience has never experienced Mm -hmm. seeing someone dance to night train, why would you deprive them because someone in their sophomore phase is yeah. embarrassed that they
3: used to do it, and they want to give you shit for trying to do it now. We did big spender. I've done yes. one burlesque uh, post-divorce. And I should do you? something to empower myself. And so I moved back to Boise and that, and that uh, Kelly
2: yeah, yeah. Really
3: led the workshop that I took, and we performed it at the Old Ophidia. Nice, and it was so much fun. It is now oh the, my the gosh. history of that song
4: is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was wondering. Yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but it's just you know, like I don't feel like everything. You know, you you can do the thing yeah. and have it mean what it means right now too. But there's a lot of stuff that. Uh, when people are choosing music that I think about that isn't that personal to me mm-hmm. because there's a learning curve. I'm like, I'm going to remove, I'm actually not putting obstacles in your way. I'm removing obstacles from you having an effective yeah. performance, right. mm. you know, because I'll go, oh, I really wanted to do that. I'm like, nope, sorry. You will <laughs> not get the effect that you're talking about wanting. What do you want the end result to be? Yeah. Let's start right. there. So,
1: this so, sounds like writing
3: workshops. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> writing
1: is hard. <laughs> well,
3: we'd love to know who some of your favorite authors are since, you know, we are the story 14. Yeah.
4: Okay. Um, oh, now I'm stuck. It's a hard
3: question. There's so many good ones. Um, we won't hold you to it as, okay. as being your absolute yeah. favorite. Yeah. <laughs>
4: okay. Um, just give me a sec. Um, I read a lot and all these things are flashing through my mind. Because, yeah. like, right now I'm rereading. A, Philip Pullman uh, yes yeah because Dark Materials yes. is on TV on HBO yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
3: oh that's such a, always a good choice yeah. Go back yeah so so good and um, his new series is good too if you th- haven't started it
4: yet. I, I read the first one I haven't read the second one yet it's great yeah I love it <laughs> um, so that and then in mind with that I also love the Bartimaeus trilogy mm. Have you ever oh, read? Oh, I
3: haven't. Read,
4: but okay. Read, so I usually have to read on Kindle because I have eye issues, mm. but it is much easier to read in print because okay. he uses these asides and footnotes that are oh. brilliant. The brilliant, oh, and nice. it's a really interesting examination mm-hmm. of imperialism. Oh wow! I'm forgetting the
3: author's name. Is it Stroud?
4: Not, Jonathan Stroud.
3: I do like a good
4: footnote. <laughs> I, it might be. I think it's Jonathan Stroud. You okay. might want to double check that. Um, I love uh, I love Maya Angelou Mm -hmm. yeah I so I just read City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert and I loved it I heard that I've heard so many
1: good things about it I haven't read
4: it that and her other book what was it called The Signature of All Things Mm -hmm. which is I would never if I had read what it was about before I read it I would I'd be like I'm not gonna enjoy this and I thought (laughs) it was wonderful and I feel like I'm forgetting all these amazing authors. Oh, of authors. course, that's the way it like works. Like I want to pick up my phone and go, what, what am I reading right now?
3: Yeah, um,
4: yes. And then I still love, you know, the poets that I loved in, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So I still love, I, although it's interesting looking back at them and I've read a lot of analysis from them in the current media, you know, different perspectives than I would have had then. But there is no replacement for what they did for me then. No. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, what, uh, like what Anne Sexton yes. meant to me and all that. So That's what's so fascinating about that kind of literature, though, is how it changes over time. Yeah, our mm-hmm. interpretations are always evolving. So it's yeah. like a living thing in yeah. a way, which is kind of cool.
4: And so not everything holds up for me that I mm-hmm. loved then, but there's just a... a the way that they saved my life. Yeah, sure. I can't do anything about that. You yeah. know, I can't, even even when I read them now and I'm like, oh, but yeah, they did save my life at the time. Although the feminist poets, mostly of the yeah. 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. were a huge thing for me and really shaped a lot of my perspective and tastes. I really love Patty Smith. Oh, Patti Smith. Oh, Patti Smith. Yeah. yeah,
3: she's incredible.
4: Um, I feel like I'm forgetting so many amazing writers. Um, <laughs> I have... Um,
3: oh God, you guys, bad. <laughs> did you listen to the, uh, her recording of Just Kids of Patty Smith? No, not yet.
1: Oh, I didn't listen oh, I didn't to it. Listen I should listen to it. Except you'll weep. I cried reading that book a lot. Yeah, and I love
4: Lily Barana because she wrote the book Strip City. Mm. Strip City. So Lily Barana wrote uh, this memoir about stripping, where she traveled across the country and did sort of a retirement tour, mm. and. It is one of the most honest books about stripping I have read because, you know, most strippers are ambivalent. It's great, it's awful, it's great, it's mm. awful, it's great, it's awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I think to not acknowledge either aspect is to be overly political. Mm. Like there's never just, yeah. there's, no, not, there's never even only two sides to a re- given reality. So yeah. it does a great job of that. But over and over in her memoirs, she has a kindness as she remembers mm. things where she withholds mm. nothing. You know, you don't feel like she's uh, sugarcoating anything. But at the same time, she has enormous compassion for herself and the people around her. And I was like, How do you write a memoir without trashing some of the people yeah. that you've had conflicts with along the way? And she manages to do it. Oh, so wow. I really oh, that's lovely. It's really beautiful. But I'm for she's wonderful, but I'm forgetting a million writers that I love. <laughs> of oh I love Molly Crabapple. Um, I love she has done some really interesting examinations of uh, what it's like to be an activist now, and mm. also her coverage of politics is so unflinching.
1: Yeah,
4: and she's addressing uh, areas of politics that don't make the biggest headlines and a lot of overlooked material. And then, and I really love that. And she also has done just incredible uh, memoirish work. I'm forgetting. I can. I, I like <laughs> books are going through my mind. Uh, there was. I want to. Okay, I'll mention one more. There's an incredible book about the Triangle Fire. It's in the index of the book, and I cannot remember the author off the top of my head because there's a lot of books about the Triangle Fire. Do you mind looking and seeing who the author is?
3: Not at all. Was this the dressmaking
4: fire? The 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 dressmaking fire, yeah. But there's a lot of books about it. And why this book in particular was so amazing to me, like the depth of his research and the way he humanized all these people and the way he described, like he describes women standing up. These immigrant young women standing up to these basically mob bosses. Yeah. Is it Triangle, The Fire That Changed America
3: by David Von Drell?
4: Yeah, it's stunning. It oh. is absolutely stunning. Okay. And cool. so, and oh, oh, while well, we're talking about the index <laughs> of this book, Eartha <laughs> yes. Kitt's uh, biographies oh. or autobiographies, Eartha Kitt's autobiographies are so good. Oh, um, For the history of burlesque, there's a lot of amazing books. Um Leslie Zemeckis has done some incredible research and great, great books about it. And I've just, you know, and just recently I've read some stunning things. I just read uh, Trick Mirror.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've it, been really wanting to read it. has been on my list for a while.
4: I mean, I, it reads to me, and it may not be the way it was meant to be read, but it, it reads to me as essays. And just the yeah. first essay mm-hmm. on the internet about being on the internet I had to stop reading and think about oh,
2: for wow. a while. Oh, I like
4: that. Hmm. Oh, wow. I like that
2: effect. I, yeah. It's,
4: and she talks about problematic things but also doesn't say I'm not participating in this so she's not the person standing there going oh you people right. who aren't doing yeah. things right she's like this is right. why we're not doing things right and how do I handle that and
3: yeah.
4: um, you know she has an interest in social justice but she's not someone standing up there going I have been mm-hmm. saved you all sinners listen to me she's yeah. really digging deep oh, that's
3: so cool.
4: but there's so many, so many books that I love and I think Okay, so I'm going to give a lot away here. I'm giving a lot away <laughs> here. My favorite book of all time is probably The Last Unicorn.
3: I Aww. love that book by Peter That's, Beagle. Mm-hmm. Peter S. Beagle. It's, it's amazing. just so tender. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I just reread it for the first time since childhood a couple years ago. and mm-hmm. then yeah.
1: How often do you return to it? Um, I used to know it by heart. <laughs> oh. Yes. I yes, know yes, I yes. check it
4: out every now and then. I love um, that. I'm also, like, I just, this is kind of an aside to uh, reading, but, like, I feel like television is kind of catching up with literature in terms of nuance and presentation. Absolutely. And so often if I see something on TV, if it has an original book, I go back to it, and I'm very grateful for that Mm -hmm. inspiration.
1: Frankie, do you have some... Books that you return to a lot or your favorites?
2: I'm terrible at remembering authors, yes. but uh, childhood favorites for sure. Uh, the Giving Tree. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Where the Sidewalk Ends. Mm-hmm. Like that is, uh, the, Where the Sidewalk Ends. And then later i uh, found Shell Silverstein's adult stuff. Oh my gosh, which is amazing. Oh yeah, I saw Polly in a porny. You guys, my yeah. mind was blown, yeah. and I loved him even more. <laughs> totally, it was really uh, totally. We've played with some of his songs. Oh, uh, that's so cool. Essie Hinton's The Outsiders mm-hmm. is gonna stick with me forever. Stay gold, Pony Boy. <laughs> um, and I do have to refer to my. List, but (laughs) um, I find David Sedaris to be very soothing. Yes, I loved it. (laughs) I am very much an audiobook listener because I I don't sit still very well, yeah. Um, and David Sedaris has gotten me through many a hard night, and I like his, he's very real and funny as hell. But he's like, he made my lovely Catholic father (laughs) who you know he's old, right? Uh, we were listening to an audiobook uh together, and he's like, oh is this a woman? And we're towards the end, right? It was me talk pretty one day and he's referencing him and Hugh. And yeah. I was like, no, Dad. It's no. David. It's a man. He's like, oh, okay. But that was like my father's first experience with someone who, was, this was like 17 years ago, right? Yeah. But he was like, oh, it's okay. Like, yeah. this is the person I'm enjoying and finding, right? Uh, anyways, David Sedaris is lovely. Um, I have, I've been listening to a lot of um really depressing stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and, I, I recently discovered Randy Schultz, um, and he wrote The Mayor of Castro Street, as mm-hmm. well as, um, and the band plays on documenting. Oh, them. gotcha, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounded familiar. Uh, uh, I'm not finding her at the moment. She wrote um, Dope Sick about the mm. opioid epidemic yeah. and she's been so i really i kind of like the cultural historical yeah. like let's talk about public health and let's get sure, real guys because this is fucked yeah. and let's change the system and i want to learn from the people who've done the research mm-hmm. and then i'm going to apply it to my life where it, yeah. where it is but so i've been that's that's been my i, I got a little dark with my my <laughs> reading list and so i had to lighten up lighten up a yes. little bit uh, the I listened to, uh, it's called White Trash. It was a female author. Have you read that? I have not read it, but (gasps) I... Oh, my gosh. Like, let's go beyond beyond the racism in our country and talk about the classism Mm -hmm. that came over in, like, the 14 and 1500s and how the rate... Oh, 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 my God. It destroyed me, Um, and I was completely enthralled by the whole thing and I go back and reference it quite regularly Mm. and seeing things much differently through like, oh, this doesn't need to be this way, right? But this is how it is. But it's giving me a different perspective, so I'm not accepting the reality as it's presented, which is, I I appreciate books that can do that. Definitely.
4: You should read the Poisonwood Bible. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm making a list of what you're saying, by the way. You have to stop sometimes. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. It's it's one of those
3: overwhelming. But lovely,
2: I and
4: I just read it for the first time, and people had been recommending it to oh. me, and I kept picking it up, and I guess it wasn't the right time. Mm-hmm. But it it's is it a, essential reading, in my opinion. Okay, is it Barbara, Barbara, uh, King Barbara, Solver. King Solver? Barbara King Salver? Barbara King Salver. It's fiction. Thank you. That's what it, the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> I just sort want to of mention, I just read uh, the Ghosts of Eden Park. Mm-hmm. Have you read the Ghosts mm-hmm. of Eden Park? No, no.
3: that sounds familiar.
4: Um, uh, <laughs> the Ghosts of Eden Park is amazing, and. Um, St. Mark's is dead by Ada Calhoun. I loved because she's writing about the uh, the history of St. Mark's, the hip street in mm-hmm. New York City, right? And she talks to a lot of people who are all like, "Yeah, St. Mark's is dead." You know, <sighs> back in the golden era, and they talk about this golden era St. Mark's. And she starts to notice that each one of them is not talking about a specific year. But about when they were nineteen. Oh, that's so oh, wow! Amazing. So when they
2: experienced it. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. that's yeah, that's beautiful.
4: that's that's a summary. Like it's yeah not exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 But oh, that's but Saint Mark's is so cool. Isn't that right. great? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, and I'm not. It's not a spoiler. Like you yeah. can totally read the book. But I love stuff like that because I feel like we're overdue for a lot of paradigm shifts. Yes. The way that we think. Um, yeah. Things happen because mm-hmm. I, re- you know, I've been reading a lot of history, and I've been reading a lot of. Um, Nonfiction, like I've read, I just read "Clothing: A Global History," which is sort of semi-academic, mm-hmm. but this kind of stuff really inspires me because it starts out with this picture of, uh, I think it's the G8 at the time. You know, all these world leaders, and almost all of them are in what we think of as a business suit, and a few of them aren't.
1: Mm. And what does that
4: mean, right? Mm-hmm. And so the book basically, yeah, you know. So I'm really recommending reading fashion history to people as much as possible yeah. because there's such, so much juicy stuff in there mm. and such a, a lot of paradigm shifts for the way that we think about the cultural meaning of fashion and also the way that we think about the history between continents and nations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the the way that industri- industrialization flowed and that kind of thing. So it's just really... You know the fact that history goes back not six hundred years, but thousands and thousands mm. and thousands of years, and the garment trade has been there the whole time. The whole time. Right, like we yeah, have been clothed. Yeah. yeah, and like jewelry is money, and all these crazy things that you don't think about, mm-hmm. and um, so it's a really powerful study. Yeah. So, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fascinating.
3: Oh, that's amazing. It's, life's too yeah. short for all the reading. I know. I know. I, know. Like,
4: I just I, like to take a book bath. I just like, <laughs> yeah. No. So I like oh go into a bookstore, or a library, or look <laughs> at my books, and I just take a book bath, and they all just yeah. wash over me, and I feel like I may not be able to read you
1: all, but I feel
4: like <laughs> you washing presence. over yes. me. Yes. Yeah, We're I can smell you.
1: Same universe. Well, we do have to to wrap up, but I will say, just to to finish off, I would encourage everyone to go buy Joe Weldon's books. <laughs> yes. Yay. Yes. Fierce. Fierce the history of leopard print and the burlesque handbook and you can get them really anywhere books are sold right. yes yeah, support your independent Sup- bookstores yes, yes. Mm-hmm. definitely thank you so much for listening we'll see you at the fest tomorrow
0: best. but tomorrow never came